We're continuing our series, Strangers in a Strange Land, which is how do you, uh, how do you love, how do you, what, what is this series even about? Uh, something about grace and truth in a culture of compromise. How do we live with grace and truth in a culture of compromise? There you go. Uh, and how we often feel that we have to do one or the other. We have to, have to be gracious, which means accepting everything, or be truthful, which means uh, being a jerk. And uh, particularly on a, on a Sunday like Grey Cup Sunday, uh, with Rough Rider found fans in the audience, we know what jerks uh, act like. Uh, I, public speaking 101, you, you got to woo the audience uh, first couple of minutes, so I... I don't know, that's, that's, a bad, that's a bad move here at Sunwest because we're probably divided between Rough Rider fans and Stamps fans. So, um, anyways, we love you. We, are, we, uh, we love all people here. Uh, to, guide all, to guide all people into a lifelong authentic relationship with Jesus, Rough Rider fans included. That's how, that's how radical our grace and our love is here at Sunwest. All right, so strangers in a strange land. The, the context is... Uh, that that the, the Israelites have, uh, are, are in captivity, they're being oppressed uh, under, uh, under Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar and some other kings, uh, if you follow the story, Daniel uh, and his, his uh, supporting cast, his friends, uh, actually live under the reign of four different uh, kings during his time in Babylon, and that's the context uh, of the series. And Daniel, the reason we're looking at Daniel is that he didn't choose... Uh, to compromise his beliefs, yet he had great influence in Babylon. Uh, in, in fact, all the kings that were uh, above Daniel, all found, Daniel found favor with all of them in the midst of holding to his convictions. And so that's why we're looking uh, at the book of Daniel. <clears throat> Last week we talked about standing firm. Uh, the importance of standing firm, being uncompromising uh, in our worship of God, despite what our culture might be worshiping around us. This week, we're going to talk about loving well. And this is what it says in Galatians. Paul writes, the only thing that counts. Everybody say, only thing. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts. If I could preach on one thing every single Sunday, it would be this thing. It's the only thing that counts. Faith expressing itself through love. And I love this verse because it, 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 it kind of brings the importance of faith with love. Because if, if we love without faith, uh, it doesn't really work. Because faith is, is believing in something that isn't, hasn't quite arrived yet. And often the people that we find the hardest to love, it's because we, we have fallen into the trap of uh, that they are what they are, and we've lost faith that God wants them to be more than what they are. When we have faith, when we can, when we can see something that isn't, hasn't yet arrived, we can actually be free to love the way that Jesus loved. When Jesus looks at you and I, he doesn't just see us as we are, he, see, he sees us as he created us to be, which motivates his love. In fact, I, I I would guess that for most of us who, who have uh, taken a step to have faith in Jesus, it's because somebody in your life uh, chose to love you uh, and call you into who God created you to be, not just look at you the way that you are. I know that was true for me and my story. Um, in fact, I had, uh, you know, when I, when I was growing up, 
In grade 10, uh, I've talked about my grade 10 year a lot. Grade 10 was a really bad year for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, all high school was pretty bad. But grade 10 in particular uh, was a bad year. And I, I just hated school. Uh, I, my friends were all older than me. And so I was in, the, I was in cl- a class uh, where I didn't really have a lot of friends. And I would intentionally try and get kicked out of class as fast as I could, almost every day, because when I get kicked out of class, I could go hang out with my friends, because uh, a lot of my friends had spares, right? So, uh, so I'd go hang out in the locker, in the, in the hallway at the lockers with my friends, and so I, I kind of had this mission just to be this, uh, this pain in the butt to my teachers. In fact, I think I still hold the record in Killarney High School for getting out, kicked out of class the fastest. Uh, in about five seconds, I got kicked out of class. I I walked into my English class, and Miss Whitting, who was the name of my teacher, said, Matt, where's your books? I said, I don't, I don't have any. She said, get out. I was like, yes, five seconds, hanging out with my friends. Except I had one teacher, his name was Mr. Gustafson, uh, and he would kick me out of class, but he would make me sit outside of his door. <laughs> I hated it. And in fact, I didn't want to get kicked out of Mr. Gustafson's class because it meant Mr. Gustafson would want to have a conversation with me. So what, what he would do is, uh, I was act up and he'd be like, get out, sit, sit outside the door. And, uh, and then when he had a few minute, few minute break while he was teaching, he would actually come outside the door and he would talk to me and he would say, why are you acting like this? It's like, I, I know that you have potential, and I'm not quite sure what's behind your attitude or why you're acting like this. Uh, and I had a couple of in, uh, influencers there in high school, uh, but he was one of them, uh, that chose not just to see me for how I was acting out, for whatever reasons I was acting out, uh, but I would say that he had faith that he saw something in me that I wasn't obvious or pre- I wasn't presenting to the world, and he called that out of me. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself, in love, choosing to see a world, choosing to see a people group, choosing to see a person, not the way that they are, but the way that God created them to be. Can we call people to that? Can we love people with that in mind? Uh, And if we're going to do that, it means that we have to see the world the way that God sees it. We have a, many people that claim to follow Jesus in our world today that try to influence our world by antagonizing people, by arguing with people, by trying to convince folks uh, that they're wrong or that they're sinners. And uh, even if those things are true, how we say something, the spirit in which we say something uh, matters incredibly. We cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. It doesn't happen. If, if you want to influence somebody, you can't antagonize them. You'll never win your enemies to Christ. So don't have enemies. If you always view somebody as your enemy, chances are you're going to have a hard time representing Jesus to them, inviting them to a relationship with Jesus. I've never seen anyone come into a relationship with Jesus because they lost an argument with the follower of Jesus. I've never seen it. I'm not saying it's never happened. I've just never seen it. And I think in our, in our, in our world with social media, we see that, that tactic all the time. I'm going to come back to this in a second, but 
where we, we feel like we can express opinions and argue for things, uh, hoping that uh, we will represent Jesus well. But is it, is it our rightness that actually represents Jesus to the world around us, or is it something else? I think it's something else. And so Jesus talks about this, Paul talks about this, and we're going to look at it in Daniel in a second. Uh, but this is what Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this. This is how the world is to know who the disciples of Jesus are. Not, it doesn't say, if you get baptized, this is going to be the distinguishing mark of my disciples. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, if you memorize your Bible. It doesn't say, if you go to church every Sunday. It doesn't say any of that. It doesn't say if you do starting point. Do all four weeks of starting point. Jesus didn't say that. But you should still do those things. Uh, <laughs> he says the distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus is if you love one another. You know, I, I know sometimes folks, you know, they, I hear these comments on some Sundays, you know, I just, you know, I want some deep teaching. You know, I, I just, I just want to go deep, you know, deeper. And usually what people mean by deeper is they, they want to be, they want teaching that's confusing. They want to leave here a little bit more confused, scratching their head. It's like, that was some good deep teaching. Uh, you're not going to be confused today, I'm going to tell you, but don't let simple, don't confuse simple with shallow. This is the deepest teaching that Jesus gives us. This is, this is the most important thing that he tells us. You know, in our, in our Western world where we, where we worship knowledge, we're like, you know, I just want just to f- get into the, like, the philosophy and the theology and, and we want to, you know, wrestle with confusing things. And, uh, you know, there's a time and a place for this conversation, but that is not what Jesus calls to. When he, when he calls us to deep discipleship, he's calling us to this. And it's hard. Having opinions is easy, but loving people is hard. And so it's way easier for us just to have opinions on things. If we follow Jesus, we'll see that, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, that love is to be our greatest aim. Let love be your greatest aim. And so I want to look a little bit at what Paul says. We're going to look at Daniel at chapter 6, and then we're going to look at a, a story from Jesus. But Paul has this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it's, it's, the, it's the wedding chapter. Now, how many of you guys have, have heard 1 Corinthians 13 preached at a wedding? Lots of you. How many of you guys had 1 Corinthians 13 preached at your wedding? Come on, put, put, put your hands up. Is this your theme verse? Okay, yeah, this is you know, this powerful, powerful chapter, but we almost never preach about it because it's like, that's the wedding chapter, so let's preach about other things. This is a fantastic chapter that shouldn't just be for weddings, although it's a great passage for weddings. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Everybody say the love chapter. chapter. Oh, you guys even put some sass in that. That was great. 1 Corinthians 13 says, starts off this way. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels and didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Our world glorifies opinions. If I disagree with you, it's not just a dis- disagreement, and, and particularly in Canada, it's like, if I disagree with you, it's almost like I hate you. And sometimes we can start to buy into that, and, but, 
But Paul is calling us to a deeper, a deeper way of communicating, deeper way of living. If I could speak all languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Without love, all I say is ineffective. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter if you're right. And we talked about this the first week. The point is not to be right. The point is to be effective. Jesus doesn't call us to be right. He calls us to be loving. Without love, all I say is ineffective. And Ephesians says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Speak the truth in love. The tension, truth in love. Paul goes on, he says in verse 2, if I had the gift of prophecy, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, how many of you guys would love that? I understood all God's secret plans. I understand everything. I possessed all knowledge. There's no answer I didn't have. Paul is saying that if you didn't love, you'd be nothing. Without love, all I know is insignificant. All I know is insignificant. We have a lot of knowledge and information in this world. In fact, there's more knowledge available to us as followers of Jesus than at any point in all of history. And I've talked about this before, but with the, with the internet, with podcasts, with, I mean, you guys could, you know, some of you guys are listening to 10 sermons a week. I don't know how you do it, but uh, you do it. You're on podcasts, you're listening to stuff all the time, you're reading. We got books, we got uh, all, we got all manner of things. We have no shortage of knowledge. Knowledge is easy. But without love, knowledge is insignificant. It doesn't matter what you know. Second part of that verse is, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. I mean, how many, how many of you guys would love faith that can move mountains? I mean, I, that'd be awesome. You know, Paul says, who cares? You got faith that can move mountains, who cares? Because without love, your faith or what you believe is insufficient. It's not enough. It doesn't matter. It's worthless. We often focus on believing the right things. And don't get me wrong, what we believe is important, but what we believe is irrelevant if we're not loving Next verse, he says, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I mean, at SunWest, we're a generous church. You guys are amazing. We, we, you guys serve with your time. You know, the amount of volunteers that we have serving every single week is, is incredible. You guys give financially. You, you give of your resources, and it's amazing. But without love... All I give is incomplete. It doesn't matter how generous you are if, if it's not paired with a heart of love. In fact, if you choose to be generous out of duty or religion and not out of a place of a transformed heart, then you become bitter over time. Without love, all I give is incomplete. Incomplete. 
Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or proud or rude. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Without love, all I accomplish is inadequate. Love, what we do in love is what will last for eternity. That, that's an internal invest, investment. When we look at Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, there's a few verses here that I think are just profound that they kind of give a window to how was Daniel able to have such influence in a culture that was opposed to his belief system. It said, in, starting in verse 1, it, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of them whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel, so what does it say? Distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for the charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so they set up a scenario Again, because of Daniel's worship, and they knew they wouldn't, he wouldn't give up his worship of God, uh, where, where Daniel ended up in the lion's den. And you know that story. And God protected him in the lion's den. But that, that, that is the precursor to that story. But we can see the influence that Daniel says. Notice it doesn't say that Daniel was naturally distinguished. He was unique. He was special. He was so talented. It doesn't say that. It says he distinguished himself with exceptional qualities that impressed the king and other leaders. Being distinguished just naturally usually comes out of your talent or your appearance or, or your status or your education. I don't think this is what it's referring to. Daniel distinguished himself in his conduct, in the way he treated others, in the way that he lived. The difference is important because it means that we can also distinguish ourselves, you and I can, in the way that we live. I think Daniel is a model for us. You and I can't control our skill set. We can't control our talent. We can't control, you know, those things in our lives. You know, you look at somebody else and you're like, man, I wish I was good at sports. Or man, I wish I was, you know, better, a better leader. Or man, I wish I could do that skill set. You know, many of us, we can't control that. But what we can control is our attitudes. What we can control is how we love others. What we can control is the way that we treat people. And it was this, I believe it was this that made Daniel an influencer in Babylon. You can make a choice whether you're going to love well. You can't maybe choose those other things, but you can choose whether you're going to love well. And because of that, you can choose to be a person of influence. And that can start tomorrow. 
say, how do I influence in my world? How do I influence in my family? How do I influence in my workplace? How do I love well? Love well. So how, what does that look like? How do you do that? You know, think of someone that you find unlovable. I saw some of you turning your heads to the person beside you. So we're going to do a little bit of an exercise here. Think of someone you find unlovable in your family, in your workplace. And what does it mean for you to have influence in that person, with that person? Maybe it's a people group. Maybe there's a certain set of people that you find really difficult to love. So serve them. This is the first step. Serve them. We, we notice in, this, in the story of Daniel that he, whatever king was, he was around, he served his king. Never compromising his worship of God, but he served his king. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. Chances are the person that you are having trouble loving has some kind of need. What is it? How can you respond to it? And you might think, well, how do I serve people? I'm, you know, I'm in charge. I'm, I'm the boss. Perfect. That, that, that's ideal. In fact, the, the gospel has so much punch because God himself came not to be served, but to serve. That's the, that's the punch of the gospel. So if you're a boss, if you're overseeing people, if you're a parent, you know, what does it mean for you to serve your kids? What does it mean for you to serve your employees? What does it mean for you to serve that person that you find unlovable? This is what Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9.19. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And we see this is what Jesus did. And we're going to come back to this point at the end. But Jesus connected before he corrected. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see that connection was so important to Jesus. Loving people was so important to Jesus. It says in Romans, The kindness of the Lord leads us to... What does it say? The kindness of the Lord leads us to what? Repentance. The rightness of the Lord. The power of the Lord. The kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Jesus connected before he corrected. Next, think of the, think, go back to the person in your mind, the person you find unlovable. Set an example for them. That's the, this is a problem for some of us. You start to think, set an example for them. It's a bit of a gut check. It makes you nervous. Because you realize that your example is probably not worth following. How we live is important. And so at SunWest, when we talk about people, you know, getting involved and, you know, coming to Hearing God, coming to Starting Point, getting involved in groups, you know, it's, it's not about... A religious activity, the reason we do those things is to help people find transformation. We don't want any of you just to stay the same. We believe that God is always calling us into transformation. We, got, we believe that God wants to transform you so that you can be an example in the world around you, to those around you. In Matthew 5, it says to be the salt, Jesus says to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. What does salt do? Salt makes things taste better. A little bit of salt. Uh, 
Some of you could use less salt. Uh, but salt makes things taste better. And in that time, salt also preserved things. You know, they didn't have refrigeration. So Jesus is saying, set an example to people and make the world around you better. Take the things that are good in this world and preserve them. Hang on to them. He said, and be the light of the world. Don't just make things better, but also make things brighter. When you come into a room, when you walk into your family, when you go into your workplace, does your workplace become brighter? Does your workplace become better? If you were to leave your workplace, would people go like this? So glad he's gone. If this church wasn't in Minnapur and Sundance, would the community notice? You know, part, part of why we wanted to move into the space, into this place, back into this community and have a level of permanency is because we wanted to be an example. We wanted to be a light on a hill. We wanted to be salt. We want people that know us to say, you know, those people make my life better. They make my life brighter. Do people say that about you? That person that you find unlovable If you were taken out of their life, would they be disappointed? What does it mean for us to set an example? The greatest influence we can have on our world is how we live our lives. God's not calling us to perfection. He's just calling us to transformation. And lastly, share Jesus with them. I know we get really nervous about this one. Anytime we talk about evangelism, sharing Jesus with people, we just like, how many, of you, how many of you guys got sweaty hands when I put up that slide? Some of you, hey? Share Jesus with them. What, is this, what does this look like? It's not, we have the right belief system and you have the wrong one. Let me share Jesus with you. That's not what I mean by this. Evangelism means telling people about what God has done in your life. When you share Jesus with people, anchor it in your own testimony. And if you don't have a testimony to, to share, you know, if Jesus hasn't done anything in your life, spend a little bit more time with Jesus before you share Jesus with somebody. Okay? And then when Jesus has done something in your life, say, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. That, that's what it means to share Jesus with him. It's not, let me convince you that you should follow Jesus. That's not evangelism. When we, evan- when we evangelize, we're sharing the good news. That's what the word means. We're sharing the good news of what Jesus has done. And Peter talks about this. Peter says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with what? Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And that's what happened with Daniel. You know, Daniel was a guy who lived, he lived what he preached. He, he, he worshiped God. He, he aligned himself under Yahweh. And people couldn't find any fault with him. So if people are going to speak maliciously against you, 
Paul talks about it, it's like burning, heaping coals on their head. You know, our goodness actually makes it very difficult for people to speak maliciously against you if we're loving well. We love well. You know, and the, the, the church is, you know, in the coming years, and it's, it's happening increasingly, the church is, is going to be under great attack for the, the things that we believe to be true. Uh, it's already happening. And so there, there's going to be this test like Daniel had, and, and, and is our response going to be we have to convince the world around us that we're right? Or are we going to live out what we believe to be true? Are we going to be an example, and are we going to love well? To the point of, of maybe think, of, of, of a world thinking, why would we ever want not to have these Christians and these churches? You know, that, that's ludicrous. Why, why would we ever not want them? They're changing our world. They're making our world better. They're making our world brighter. They're loving everybody. You know, can we have that type of testimony? St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, use words. It's a great quote. We preach the gospel with how we live. We preach the gospel with how we live. People have used this quote in the past to say, well, I never need to talk about Jesus. I just need to live a certain way. No. Live like what you believe is true, that you believe it. Uh, and then when you have the opportunity, share about what Jesus has done in your life. But how I act is more important than what I say. And we need to realize this. We, we live in a world of noise. How we live, how we act is more important than what we say. For some of you, this is a point that you need to ask some hard questions. You know, if you look in the mirror and say, how do I act? How do I speak? What effect am I having on the people around me? What... If you try really hard to act better, it, it, it's, you're not going to get very far because in, you need to be transformed from the inside out. And this is why we're, we're always inviting people at Sunwas back to the gospel, back to a relationship with, with Jesus. In uh, Romans, it has this powerful verse that says, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Often, and I'll go back to that unlovable person you had in your mind. It's like, I'm going to wait for them to be more lovable, and then I'll love them. That's how we think. But that's not how God thought with us. In fact, Many of us, before we even turned our lives towards Jesus, think, think of yourself as this cup. We were closed to Jesus. While we were still sinners, Jesus was just pouring out the love on us. Okay? You see that? He didn't wait for us to do this and then say, okay, now I'm going to love you. It's not how it works. God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. There's a story in Luke 19 of a, of a guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. 
A wee little man was he. <laughs> and one day, he heard that Jesus was coming to town, and he's like, and, 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 Je- and, and Zacchaeus was a, a tax collector, a chief tax collector, which means that Zacchaeus was a traitor. Zacchaeus was a Jewish guy that decided to align himself with Roman or Babylon, with Rome or Babylon, bringing back to Daniel there, and took on the position of an oppressor over his very own people. That's what's happening in the story. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector stealing money from his own family, from his own people. So Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming. He's heard stories about Jesus. He says, and he's small, he's wee, right? So he, he, he goes to a tree and he climbs up a sycamore tree. And he's looking for Jesus and Jesus is walking towards him. And so we see here in the story, Jesus coming towards him. Zacchaeus is a traitor. Jesus is a Jew. Nobody loves Zacchaeus. Everybody's outcasted him. He's aligned himself with Rome, but Jesus goes up to him and starts talking to him. He says, Zacchaeus, today I want to come to your house. And so in that time, when, when you go to somebody's house, it was like, it, you know, we, we have a hospitality thing going on uh, here in Calgary where we, we don't invite people over to our house. We go to, we go to coffee shops. But going to somebody's house was an even bigger deal in then because if you had somebody over for a meal at your house in that time, it meant that they were basically like family. And Jesus says, I want to go to your house. Before Zacchaeus even opened his heart to Jesus. And he says, I want to be a guest in your house. And all the other Jews are looking around being like, who is this guy who's going to this trader's house to be his guest? And Jesus always wants to be our guest before he becomes our Lord. Always. And it says after Jesus goes to his house, has a meal with the man, Zacchaeus' heart opens. And he says, I'm going to pay back everybody that I took money from. I'm going to pay them back and I'm going to give more. I'm going to, I'm going to give back even interest on what people gave, gave to me. And then Jesus responds and says that salvation has come to this house. Salvation came to this house, why? Not because Zacchaeus understood all the right answers, but because Zacchaeus had been transformed by the love of God. And then what happens is that we receive love and we give it away in the world around us. It starts overflowing. In fact, it says in the scriptures that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think out of the overflow of the heart, the heart we act. Out of the overflow of the heart, we love. And so it first comes with receiving the love of Jesus. You know, and I'm going to run out of water here, but every metaphor breaks down. But you, you see that Jesus' love never runs out. Jesus' love never runs out. and He's constantly pouring out on us. He's constantly pouring out on you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus did not wait for Zacchaeus to change the way he acted in order to love him. Jesus did not wait for Zacchaeus to pay back the money that he stole before he had lunch with him at his house. Jesus loved indiscriminately. 
Jesus loves you indiscriminately. He loves me indiscriminately. He does not wait for me to turn around and change my life in order to pour his love out on me. And as followers of Jesus, this is what we proclaim, that we have actually chosen to receive the love of God. Receive his grace. But how then can we be selective to whom we pour our love out towards? You know, just picture me still pouring and me turning this cup back around. You know, often we, we, we stop pouring out love because we're I'm just going to wait till that person changes. And when they turn their cup around, I'm going to, you know, as soon as they can receive what I'm loving, the love I'm giving, then I'll give it to them. For me, as a grade 10 or I needed somebody to love me before I changed. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the... This is why at SunWest we, we don't talk about religion. We don't believe God's calls to religion. He doesn't call us to right activity so that we turn our cups around so we can receive the love of God. We believe in this radical, self-sacrificing God that continues to pour his love out on us regardless of our posture towards him. And he doesn't consider that a waste. And he calls us as followers of Jesus to love indiscriminately in the same way. And here's the good news is when you love people indiscriminately is exhausting. It's exhausting. But that's why we have a posture of worship and receiving because we have a God that does not run out of love. He does not run out of grace. There's no, it, there's no end to it. He's always pouring it out. And so we receive it and then we give it away. So I'm just going to invite you to bring, bring to mind again that person or that, those people uh, that you find unlovable. And I want you to open up your palms just as a posture of receiving, kind of like that cup. You're flipping that cup upside down. And you're saying, Jesus, thank you for loving me while I was a sinner. Thank you for loving me even though I still sin. Thank you that you don't wait for me to get my life together before you pour your love out into me. Lord, I'm sorry for the times that I withhold that love to others. And I choose to hang on to it, to stop pouring it out until they change. Lord, would you give me this radical posture? Would you give me the courage? Would you give me the love? Would you give me the, the, the capacity to love people that are difficult to love regardless of how they respond to my love? And Lord, I recognize that that is, uh, we get hurt when we do that. We, we become vulnerable and it hurts. But Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to do that to us. You died for us while we we're still sinners, regardless of how we responded to you. It did not change the way you responded to us. And so as followers of Jesus, help us to love in the same way. May we make the world around us better and brighter. In Jesus' name.
story of a, of a leper. And, uh, and lepers at the time, they were, you know, everywhere they went, they had to yell, unclean, 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 uh, because uh, the thinking was if you touched a leper, uh, then you would be, then you would get leprosy as well. And so they lived their whole lives without being touched. Can you imagine living your whole life without being touched by another human being? There's people in your life and my life that go through life being untouched. People that are afraid to even physically touch them. People that are afraid to, to actually love them, to show grace to them, to give them time. We have lepers, so to speak, all around us. And this leper comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. And of course, Jesus is just pouring out his love on all people all the time. So what's his response? Of course I'm willing. This is my heart posture. Of course I'm willing. But what the, what the text says before Jesus responds with his words, it says, Jesus reached out and touched them. And then he says, of course I'm willing. Why would Jesus touch the leper before he said anything? Because this person needed more than an answer. They needed more than the right answer. They needed more than Jesus just saying, of course I'm willing. They needed action. They needed love. They needed a transformation of the heart, not just of their physical being. Jesus touches him before he heals him. But Jesus heals his heart before he heals his body. There are people in our lives that aren't being touched, that aren't being loved, and they're, they're difficult to love, but God is saying, I didn't give you conditional love. I didn't give you conditional grace. Would you give away what I gave to you? Don't discriminate against anybody. I believe that when we do that, then the church has a voice. And the church has influence. We live out before we speak. Are you willing to touch the people that no one in your world is willing to touch? I invite you to close your eyes and just give you an opportunity to respond. And maybe the Lord's been laying on a, a group of people, a person on your heart, and you know, instead of just talking about God being love talking about everybody being loved by God, maybe God's saying, stop talking about it and be my hands and feet. Be my love to them. If, if you feel like God's laying that on your heart, I just want to invite you to raise a hand. I'm going to pray for you here as we close. Just raise a hand. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. raise my hand too. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be in the presence of people that are difficult to love. I pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts not to see that as an inconvenience, but an opportunity for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth. Lord, that we wouldn't be content just saying right things or true things about who you are, but we would live those things. Lord, this is the deep calling, the deep teaching that you actually invite us to. To love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to touch lepers, 
transform the world around us by extravagant love and grace that is, that is poured out indiscriminately to all that are in our path. Lord, fill us with your love and grace. Lord, there's some people that are, that this idea is exhausting because they loved. And Lord, I pray that even this morning that this would be an opportunity for them to fill up their cup, that they would recognize that there is a God who is present in this space right now that is waiting to fill them up with the love and the grace that they need. Lord, there's some here that have been untouchable. There's some here that have felt the neglect of others. Lord, I pray that they would feel your closeness. Lord, that you are not waiting for them to figure it all out. But you would open their hearts to receive your love this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.